good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. This is the one where I talk you through the plot of The Sign of Four by Arthur Conan Doyle, Mr. A.C. I am your host, Catherine, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. And I'm going to start with an apology. I um, have had an absolutely stinking cold for about, it feels like an eternity. Trust, if you speak to any teacher, they constantly have colds they've picked up off, picked up off children and it is literally the same for me. So I didn't record at the weekend because I sounded like Marge Simpson. And I'm hoping my vocal quality is sufficient today for you to actually understand what I'm talking about. Um, my book, the full context series on The Sign of Four will be out very soon. It's currently with my editor. And after this one, I'm moving straight on to that old classic of Mice and Men. It may not be a GCSE text, but it's a good law. So let's get cracking. The Sign of Four opens with Sherlock Holmes enjoying some fine cocaine. It, it isn't like a metaphor for something or, you know, oh, did cocaine mean like a box of chocolates? Nah, it's cocaine. Sherlock Holmes took his bottle from the corner of the mantelpiece and his hypodermic syringe from its neat Morocco case. With his long, white, nervous fingers, he adjusted the delicate needle and rolled back his left shirt cuff. For some little time, his eyes rested thoughtfully upon the sinewy forearm and wrist, all dotted and scarred with innumerable puncture marks. Finally, he thrust the point home, pressed down the tiny piston, and sank back into the velvet-lined armchair with a large sigh of satisfaction. Alright, cool, it's a fairly uh, shocking start, but bear in mind this is the Victorian era, you could buy heroin as cough medicine for children, plus apparently it presents him as being more scientifically minded when he is willing to try like scientific procedures on himself. Watson, understandably, is a little bit annoyed, he tells him not to do it. Holmes is bored and starts bragging. Though, actually, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by how, like, coherent he is after taking a load of cocaine. I am not an illegal drug enjoyer myself, um, but I am led to believe that you are not necessarily that coherent. Oh, that reminds me, by the way, on Jeremy Kyle once, uh, which was a guilty pleasure when I was unemployed, a guy referred to his drug life in the same sense as like love life and home life, your drug life. So Sherlock Holmes is enjoying the best drug life. He is just so annoyed. I abhor the dull routine of existence. I crave for mental exaltation. This is why I have chosen my own particular profession. Yeah, yeah, he just basically brags for ages. Just, just showing off. In walks a very beautiful client miss mary morstan she is the perfect victorian girl she is the english rose she entered the room with a firm step and outward composure of manner she was a blonde young lady small dainty well gloved and dressed in the most perfect taste there was however a plainness and simplicity about her costume which bore with it a suggestion of limited means the dress was a somber greyish beige untrimmed and unbraided and she wore a small turban of the same dull hue relieved only by a suspicion of white feather in the side her face had neither regularity of feature nor beauty of complexion but her expression was sweet and amiable and her large blue eyes were singularly spiritual and sympathetic in an experience of women which extends over many nations and three separate continents 
Well, get you, Watson. I have never looked upon a face which gave a clearer promise of a refined and sensitive nature. She has a problem. Is, well, somewhat of a problem. Her dad disappeared ten years ago. We don't actually ever find out what happens to him, by the way. And she is very sad. Every year, she is sent a very beautiful pearl in a box. And she never knows who it's from. But... Today, she has a letter. It says, be at the third pillar from the left outside the Lyceum Theatre, which I think is where Lion King is playing in Covent Garden tonight at seven o'clock. If you are distrustful, bring two friends. You are a wronged woman and shall have justice. Do not bring police. If you do, all will be in vain. Your unknown friend. She doesn't know who the letter's from, but her and Holmes decide to go along and be the two friends. They get into this mysterious cab and finds this weird bit of paper that she brings along that belonged to her dad that was a sign of four. It's a diagram of a building and there's four crosses and there's a bunch of names. As they're pondering this, they're in this cab and it takes them across town to somewhere strange. The strangest part of the world, aka South London. They end up in uh, Norwood, which is where AC was living. They get inside the house, and it is like some weird Arabian Nights thing. Super, super oriental. The carpet was of amber and black, so soft and thick, the foot sunk pleasantly into it, as into a bed of moss. Two great tiger skins thrown athwart. It increased the suggestion of eastern luxury, as did a huge hookah, as in shisha, people, which stood upon a mat in the corner. So lovely. The host, Mr. Very Mysterious, is called Thaddeus Sholto. He does not want to inform the police, but he has some information. He is the son of an old army dude called Major John Sholto. He knows that his dad is friends with Mary Morstan's dad and on his deathbed he confesses I have only one thing he said which weighs upon my mind this supreme moment is my treatment of poor Morstan's orphan the cursed greed which has been my besetting sin through life has withheld from her her treasure what a treasure so after the old man dies the brothers go through his stuff and they find a treasure they're the ones that are sending pearls to her every year as some weird way of like making up to her for whatever happened and he reveals, shockingly, that Mary Morstan is the heir to £47 million in today's money. If they were to find and secure this treasure for her, she would be the richest woman in the world. Well, they say, like, top heiress in England, but I'm going with richest woman in the world. They then jump back in a cab to go and see his brother, Bartholomew. But... Bartholomew has been locked up in his room for days, but we don't know what's happened with him when they get there. In the meantime, Watson and Mary Morstan start 
holding hands, they decide to break into Bartholomew Sholto's room. And what do they find? A dead body. Bonk, bonk, bonk. He has been killed and the treasure is gone. Somewhere in the room is a replica of the sign of four that was on the mysterious bit of paper. Holmes advises Sholto to go straight to the police and he shows off and says, well, actually, I've already solved this from just looking around the room. But yeah, with the home story, you kind of do have to stretch your disbelief a little bit. I mean, I know he's a master of deduction, but this is a little bit intense. And Watson's like, really, really, you solved the whole thing. Okay, cool. They see a round mark on the floor next to a boot print. That means they're looking for someone with one leg. Fair enough. And they notice a teeny tiny footprint. Half the size of a normal man's. Holmes, I said in a whisper, a child has done this horrid thing. But Holmes shoots this down. No, 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 no. You should try some analysis, why don't you? They have a look at the corpse again and they conclude that he has been poisoned by the state of rigor mortis that he's in. In fact, they find a thorn that's in the dead body's scalp and it's not from England. In the meantime, the police show up with Inspector? It's a policeman. Athelney Jones. He is just kind of lazy, basically. He's like, brother did it, brother did it, let's arrest him. Yeah, done, whatever. This is, the police do not have a good reputation. He's just not really that fussed. Holmes then proceeds to announce his name is Jonathan Small. That's the suspect, and it's come from nowhere. He's a poorly educated man, small, active, with his right leg off, wearing a wooden stump which is worn away on the inner side. Um, yeah? Okay, that comes from nowhere. Uh, Anthony Jones asks about his accomplice, and Holmes is like, I'm not telling you yet. Cool. Miss Morstan is escorted home, and Watson is sent off to find someone called Toby. Toby is a dog. A smelly dog. In fact, he's not even supposed to be a very nice looking dog. He's an ugly, long-eared, lop-eared creature, half spaniel, half lurcher, brown and white in colour, with a clumsy waddling gait. But apparently he is the best smeller in London. The accomplice dipped his foot in some creosote. You know that um black tar stuff that you put on roofs. So, Toby follows the scent into London. However, Toby stops when he finds a builder's yard near the docks. Sherlock bribes a child, who he calls the Baker Street Irregulars, basically like a homeless kid. He learns that a one-legged man has hired a boat to get out of London, leaving that night. Holmes decides he's now going to reveal who he thinks the sidekick is. He believes the murderer's accomplice to be a savage! exclamation point due to his dodgy anthropology and the fact that apparently hindus all have very long feet and muslims have very large big toes 
according to Sherlock Holmes. During his dodgy anthropology, he's concluded that his accomplice is a native person from the Andaman Islands, which coincidentally is where Miss Morstan's dad had served. They were allegedly fierce, morose and intractable, naturally hideous with large misshapen heads, fierce eyes and distorted features, and they're also cannibals. Honestly, I tried to Google a little bit more about what these people um, at least looked like in real life. And the fact is that their part of the Andaman Islands is now closed off to outsiders due to how hideously they were treated in the 19th and part of the 20th century to try and restore the population and these people's natural way of life. You cannot find very much about them. According to some old anthropological photos I found, they, it's in the broadest sense, they're on average a little shorter than the average white British person. They look quite friendly in the pictures. I don't know. But in, in essence, they're talking about a slightly smaller, dark-skinned person. What's come up on the news recently, what well, relatively recently, is a missionary tried to go to their homeland and got killed with spears and the general consensus is you probably should have ignored the warning signs bro they hire a boat that night and there is a very very dramatic boat chase featuring holmes and watson versus jonathan small the one-legged man and the very small sidekick who is called tongo oh god tongo is just straight up evil apparently they chase, 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 chase down the Thames. As they get stuck, Tongo jumps onto the quicksand with the mud at the side of the bank and dies. He gets stuck in the quicksand and sinks forever. Jonathan Small is captured and decides to tell the story of how he got treasure and what is happening right now. So Jonathan Small started off as a regular dude, moved to India, decided to join the army and a crocodile bit off one of his legs, decided to then work on a plantation, but the Indian mutiny happened and it all went a little bit wrong. In the midst of the chaos of the Indian mutiny, he kind of killed someone well, I didn't say kind of, I mean just like, he killed someone. There was this merchant coming through who was pretending to just be a standard dude but was actually carrying a deposed Raja's ransom. Him and three of his mates killed this person, stole the treasure and hid it. They got done for this murder and they didn't reveal where the treasure was hidden. They are shipped to the Andaman Islands, the horrible, horrible penal colony, and they're stuck there. Small decides to try and get some help to getting the treasure. He asks the prison guard, Mr. Sholto Senior, if he can help him. Sholto Senior is in debt with gambling. Small mentions he's got hidden treasure. Sholto brings in Morstan Senior for 50 grand worth of, re- worth of reward. Sholto and Morstan Senior go to Agra to recover the treasure. The idea is that they will then bring it back to Small, but they don't. They run off with the cash. Small vows revenge. He meets Tongo when Tongo is injured and brought to the camp doctor. They then escape. They survive in Europe by Small exhibiting Tongo as being some kind of hilarious cannibal. Small learns that Sholto is dying. And when the younger Sholto finds the treasure, Small kills him. He says he has got rid of the jewels. It's not worth anything. But 
they're not sure about it. Mary Morstan opens the box with the treasure in and it is indeed empty. She's not a rich heiress. But the most important thing of all is that the real treasure is the love that she and Watson have apparently developed despite speaking once and holding hands. They are now in love and engaged because we all know that money can't buy you love. Holmes is not necessarily that happy and just goes back to taking more coke. And that is how we conclude our story. I'll be back next time to talk a little bit more about the Empire, the British Empire, and how it links into our story. <coughs> STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.com. Buy my books, buy my books, get my hype going about the new one, the sign of four book. And I will speak to you very soon.